Ladies and gentlemen, people of all gender expressions, thank you for checking out the North Bank Media Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Strevens. Joining me on the show this afternoon, live from her downtown campaign headquarters, was Cheryl Watson. Uh, Cheryl is running for mayor of Edmonton in the October 18th election. Now, currently, she works uh, with the Edmonton Economic Development Corporation, and as well, she founded Innovate Edmonton and co-founded the Alberta Innovation Corridor. So while she's more or less involved with private business and, and business development, this step into public life, or what I call civic politics, um, is more of a continued process of this, uh, what she called city building. So it was great. It was really interesting, I guess, to see it that way. Less about the politics, more about uplifting the city. Uh, we touched on a lot of different uh, issues that go into the municipal uh, life and, and the life of a city. Um, and she was very agile, as she had to be, as I am known to bounce and meander within this conversation. So this was a very exciting and engaging conversation. Uh, a high point for the podcast really this is one of my more high profile guests so please enjoy this conversation with a very accomplished and forward-thinking woman cheryl watson Honestly, uh, Cheryl, thank you for doing this. And um, like I was saying, you're probably my more high-profile guest, so it's uh, it's an honor and it's it's a big step for the podcast. So thank you. Wow, Northside girl from Beverly. <sighs> Northside girl, I saw it on your website. So Edmonton, not born and raised, but raised born in Edmonton? and raised. Born and raised. Okay, right on, right mm -hmm. on. And I guess, like I was saying off mic, this is where I want to go first, and this is where I went with Derek and Daniel. It's like I have suspicions about politics at scale, national federal, provincial, whatever you, um, do you share that, that same sort of apprehension? And do you see, because you already made an interesting definition here about civic politics being not politics in some ways. So do you, do you think that maybe the office of mayor or city council is one that can affect real change for the people of a city? Absolutely. And that's why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would, I resist often being called a politician. Okay. And I bristle a little bit at it <laughs> sure. because um, I think when I think about a typical politician, I think about a party politician. Mm -hmm. I think about someone that spins issues at times. And the reason that I'm doing this is because I'm a city builder. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And I love this city. I grew up here, born and raised. And so, so many of my memories or developmental experiences are associated with this mm. city. I learned to skate at an outdoor rink in my community. Um, I, you know, people would would question how well I learned to play baseball, but I, <laughs> someone tried to teach me how to play baseball. Fair enough. Um, again, just a couple blocks from my neighborhood. And so when I think about why I want to do this job, it's to build a city that we can mm. be proud of, mm. that works. That is okay. my tagline. Build a city that works mm. for all Edmontonians, no matter where in the city you live. Mm. That's city building. That's not politics. Nice. So then what, as you said, then politics becomes less about the, the people, the voting base, the, the population, and more about other concerns, uh, problems of power, maybe? Oh, you know, that, that's another issue. My observation is that there's a lot, or, a lot of power 
uh, jostling, mm -hmm. a lot of mm -hmm. power brokering in politics. And I think that that's a necessary part of the job with the municipal sure. city building. Right. Absolutely. Because those are your partners mm -hmm. at the provincial government level, at the federal government level. You're all, you're all co-investors mm -hmm. in these cities. But everyday Edmontonians and business owners care about the water that comes out of their tap. Mm -hmm. um, the streets that their children walk down to sure. school to, mm -hmm. and they want safe neighborhoods and they mm -hmm. want lighting uh, when they know their daughter's coming home late from work on the bus so that right. she can get safely home. Like that's what Edmontonians care about when yeah. I ask them, when I knock on their door. Mm -hmm. And they don't necessarily care so much about party politic issues sure. when I ask them what is important to them about our city. That's really interesting. And I think that part of the discussion, maybe on social media, for one, has, has forced people to take a stand on these big issues that a lot of the time don't affect them. So I guess I'm curious, um, when you are door knocking or talking to people in the city, is that the case? You're hearing a lot of, it's really about issues that matter to me are, are small issues essentially and we all really do want the same things? Well, I usually start with the first question of what do you love about this city? Because hmm. I love this city. Yeah. So I'm always curious what other people love about the city. Okay. I have been falling more in love with Edmonton as hmm. I talk to more people because they share their experiences with That's me. That's cool. When I'm in a neighborhood and knocking on someone's door, they always start with something immediate like mm. I love the community that I live in the people my neighbors are right. are great and we all work together collectively to create a great community here they talk often if they have children about their children if they have pets they talk about the dog park down the street these mm. are all mm -hmm. very local issues they talk about where they catch their bus it's very, very interesting when you're in the neighborhood versus even if I run into someone then in a downtown business type environment. Sure. It's almost um, situational hmm. when they're talking to me. Interesting. Situational how? Like if you're talking with someone at a bus stop. Sure. They want to talk they're thinking the... about what they're doing in that moment. Interesting. Interesting. That makes a lot of sense. If the bus isn't on time, that's what's bothering me. That's top of mind. Mm -hmm. That's Well, I, I see where you're... I see something that I'd like to go to now then. And I, I threw this at you because I saw it on Twitter on Friday and it was, um, you can call it a political stunt or you can call it whatever you want to call it. Let's I, call it that. Sure, let's call it that. Uh, the downtown travel advisory. That to me was problematic. I, I, I know, I also don't think that he was wrong. Mike Nickel we're talking about here. I'm talking about him. I don't think there's anything wrong with necessarily some of the stats he rolled out or the point he was getting to in a roundabout way. Um, but you, you talk about building a city that works. If, if we're telling people not to go to places or to be afraid of going to certain places, I guess what, what came to your mind when you saw that and, and why do you essentially do the opposite? Well, it, it is crazy making a statement like that and a political leader or a municipal leader mm -hmm. making a statement like that is reckless, irresponsible, and disrespectful. Mm -hmm. And I... You know, I'm, I'm committed to downtown. Right. My campaign office is right downtown. Mm -hmm. And I was one of the first candidates to announce a very positive mm. and practical plan to uh, reinvigorate our downtown. Because right. you're right, this isn't the downtown that we would like it to be. For sure. 
but then let's decide what we can do what ideas do we have for making it a more positive welcoming vibrant environment mm-hmm. and i would imagine and i hope that the business owners that mm-hmm. have decided that downtown is where they're going to house their business would be also disappointed in that candidate and i continue to be surprised in the last week mm-hmm. to see so many of that candidate signs downtown interesting why is that? Is he just door knocking hard or does he have, well, I, I don't know. Well, they went up before he made those statements. Ah, so I hope sure. that those business owners are looking, um, you know, at the candidates then that they hope to represent them. Right. Is that the type of candidate they want to represent their downtown? Someone who, someone who's taking do- foot traffic off their, although when I read the thing closely, because this is how a lot of those sorts of things work is that there's a, a sort of emotional response that you get. But when you read what he said, he didn't say don't go downtown. He just said be careful when you're downtown, you know, things like that. But it may have, the damage may have been done. They could, he could have scared some people into thinking twice about patronizing downtown businesses. I don't think that's the positive future that I want to paint for our downtown, though. Sure. Is through fear, tatri- fear tactics mm-hmm. or political pranks. Sure. And so the policy that I announced talked about five specific things. How do we make business simple downtown? Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that we have the enabling technology like Wi-Fi that can allow us to perhaps even test new solutions downtown? Sure. Third, how do we make sure that it's clean and (laughs) that our our pathways um, connect to things so that people can actually travel downtown? Mm -hmm. And then four... How do we make sure that we have great transportation downtown, free buses so that you can move downtown freely? Nice. How do we encourage people to come downtown by providing one hour free parking downtown? Hmm. And then safety is on everyone's mind. Right. And so I have some very specific ideas about safety partnerships that we can form. Okay. Some that are actually already being tested now. So let's continue to see how um, those make a difference mm-hmm. and invest in them. Do you think that th- this is something of... of- growing pains for Edmonton because you know Edmonton as a city is what a hundred years old and there's cities in this world that are five six seven hundred a thousand years old are we is that what we're in here are we a, a in a nascent stage like a almost like a childhood stage and it, it takes big thinking maybe to get Edmonton to accept things like free transit downtown is huge and you're in favor of that I am and it's so to be clear, free transit within the downtown core. Sure. So once you've gotten here and you want to go have coffee with someone that's across downtown that you're able to jump on a bus right. or take an LRT so that you can travel freely within downtown. Mm-hmm. We used to have this. Right. Really? Other major cities in the world have this. Okay. So, you know, here's something else that I think is important, and, and I'll get back to your question. Sure. But um, we are not the first city to um, be a city. Right. You're right. There are many, many cities around the world that have best practices and things like this. Australia, as a matter of fact, is a country that deliberately sets up central business district in its major cities. And it Mm. it starts by creating a healthy core or a healthy heart of a city. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the idea of our policy, the central business neighborhood policy came from, is what's proven in Australia and other major cities around the world that mm. have done this already. I think that, I don't know whether it's that we're at an immature phase, mm-hmm. 
I think that sometimes we just overcomplicate things here in Edmonton. Hmm. Okay. I think there's something to that for sure. It's funny you mentioned Australia. Somebody told me that Edmonton is known in Melbourne as being a case study of how not to do light rail transit. <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> that was my response. Uh, like, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> <We're> <laughs> so I want to find all of those cities that are leaders right. in how to do transit and learn from them instead right. of us trying to figure things out on our own all the time. Interesting. And you've, that is a good point. Maybe things are being overcomplicated and, and nickel and diming in some ways is like if you made transit free within the downtown core, you could think of what that would do for business. Now, I think you just said it and then you, I saw it on your website talking about as the downtown goes, so goes the whole city. Why is that? Is that because that's where most of the commerce, most of the dent and then we can get density there? Like that's just the engine in some ways economically? It's a, it's a number of things. First, Nearly 10% of our tax revenue comes from downtown because okay. of the sheer number of businesses that are here. Okay. And so that money is not only spent on the infrastructure downtown, but mm-hmm. it fuels and, and funds infrastructure projects throughout the city. Mm-hmm. So if we lose that revenue source, that's a huge amount of money. Mm-hmm. Number two... I don't know of anyone that's coming from Australia to drive around my neighborhood right now of Lassard to see <laughs> what Edmonton's all about. That's they fair. come downtown. Mm-hmm. Every city that you, you know, to, I think as I tourists, mm-hmm. we go downtown to see what the downtown looks like. Mm-hmm. And in our mind, that then uh, paints the picture of what the entire city is. It's, mm-hmm. the, it's the cultural epicenter of cities. Right. Yes, definitely it is. I was thinking about that too. Would you consider Old Strathcona in some ways attached to that as being somewhat of a cultural, if not the epicenter, at least? I mean, to me, Old Strathcona is like the crossroads of all walks of life in the city. Do you have your sights set on that district as well in any ways? Well, Old Strathcona district is incredible. And that type of neighborhood Mm -hmm. is very typical for university cities. For sure. And so what you have there is really a university crowd. It Mm -hmm. feels very different than what our downtown commerce center looks like. I think that there, that's important. And I think that there are still also a number of other destinations in our city that are very important from Mm -hmm. a tourist perspective. Chinatown. Sure. I I grew up here, um, you know, my dad, uh, Cedric, Chinese and so that's Hmm. a big part of who I am culturally and I grew up visiting Chinatown walking down the streets seeing bustling shops Hmm. uh, people you know making dumplings right on the street that we would later have and eat in restaurants if you have been to Chinatown lately that is not the situation today we have um closed shops Hmm. we have shuttered shops we have bars on windows and so I think that our city has the need for other great destinations, mm. cultural destinations in our city. And mm. so I have a big commitment to Chinatown. Okay, I like it. And do you, do you think that the economic, I guess, restart or the economic boost to this city that we're, that we're after, is, what's ne- is that like step one here? Is, is, is economics really the issue? You're talking about businesses being closed, number one. Uh, maybe maybe a bit of a drain of talent leaving this province. Is it, do you see that as maybe being where to start? We have to reboot or, re, or boost the economy of this town before we can look up elsewhere? Well, 
the economy and that that is the engine of any city sure. it's what pays for all of the things that we want mm-hmm. and when i was first asking people about what's so what's most important to them about our city mm-hmm. um you know after they would talk about neighborhood events or issues or right. situational issues it was all around the health of our small businesses mm-hmm. And I think that there's a number of factors why that's so important to Edmontonians as well, besides the obvious right. uh, economy. But Edmonton is a town of small businesses. More mm. than 90% or nearly 90% of the businesses in this city are small and medium. So it's personal really? to us. Sure. So you either know someone that owns a business, yep. you know someone who works for a small business, mm-hmm. you rely on a small business, your favorite restaurant is a small <laughs> business. For sure. So everyone cares then mm about making sure that they survive and then in the future thrive. Mm. And so the city's job in that, which I do think is job one, Mm -hmm. is a cultural commitment to making sure that those businesses are successful. Mm. A yes and mindset that says, as a city, as a municipality, Mm. what can we do to help you be successful in your ambitions to create a city or a business here to grow it to employ people Mm. and so a lot of people ask me about you know what's your first thing that you're going to do should you be so lucky to take that seat and it's about a a mindset Mm. shift sure a mindset shift towards benefiting small business okay yes Yes, and. and and are you are you not seeing that in in the current administration or in the past administrations of this city is it too complicated, as you say, maybe, or less likely to say yes and? Well, when I think about, not when I think, when I reflect on the conversations that I've had now since October, and there have been thousands, that is not the experience of business owners today. Interesting. They're finding it hard just to get a leg up, just to be, just to get started or... It's the permitting, it's the permitting process, it's the licensing process. And so I hear stories from food truck owners Hmm. who have to go through a monthly, very complicated process to get a license for where they're going to park their truck. So direct access to customers. Right. I hear from small business owners that are wanting to expand their business. They've been successful so far ice cream shop owners who now have been, you know, have have built followings and customers that they Mm. need to have now larger production facilities. And the complication of development permits for them to um, expand their businesses is heartbreaking. They're Mm. using up free rent periods. They're, they're stalled. Interesting. I find it interesting when people talk about the economic health of a, of a city and go through, the, like, talk about small businesses, and they always talk about restaurants. Like, I've heard people talk about the, the impact of the pandemic on, on North America by the deaths of how many restaurants have gone down. Why, why, why is that? What's so important about the restaurant economically? Well... I think that when we relate those stories about restaurants, mm. my personal opinion is that restaurants are where we celebrate. Mm. They're where we come together with friends and mm. family. They're joyous celebrations. For sure. I love shopping. <laughs> like, do not get me wrong. No judgment. But I think that there's a little bit of a different emotional connection mm. that we have with these places that allow us to gather. Sure together and celebrate moments that's my belief no that's interesting and I, I thought maybe when i the question i 
answered my own question is like they're symbolic in some ways. If if a if a city is losing its restaurants, it's losing, like you say, a place for the people to go and, and celebrate it and be together. And that's kind of looks like the death of a of a culture in some ways to me. Um, it was interesting. I was out two weeks ago shooting a documentary with uh, the Bear Clan Patrol. Oh, and Judith. Yes, and so my friend, uh, my friend Faisal, who's producing the documentary, he just texted me two days ago. He's like, make sure you tell Cheryl that you, that you met the Bear Clan and you were out with them. And so this might be a good way to segue kind of back to downtown. And, and so if you'd like to say a few words about the Bear Clan, please, because they're incredible. They are incredible because they are making a difference every day. Right. And I've gone out with them and it's such a rewarding mm-hmm. experience to greet someone, to give them sustenance, water, yeah. uh, a first meal of the day, um, a lunch for later on. Judith will f- find people shoes. Um, she's just been so committed to the community to make sure that people can count on someone being there for them. Mm-hmm. First thing in the morning or late at night, there's a couple nights that they go out as yes. well in different yep. areas of the city. And, you know, I think that that day-to-day impact, again, circling all the way back to why I'm doing this, sure. that's the biggest reward is when you can make a day-to-day impact. Right. And I love what Bear Clan Patrol is doing is because it's because of that very reason. So I know that all of us are just as concerned and heartbroken when we see our unhoused and people that are struggling day to day. It's, it's right in front of our eyes. It's on the streets of this city. This is a complex and global issue. And I think that we have been irresponsible Hmm. in declaring the ability to end homelessness or end poverty. And because we have made these, uh, unrealistic statements. Right. We have gotten away from what would actually make a difference tomorrow. Hmm. And so we announced a policy again a, a couple months ago called a basic needs policy okay. that says people need water. Right. How can the city of Edmonton put in 50 water stations around the city, whether mm-hmm. it be in parks or downtown? Right. Are there socially engaged? engaged businesses that might also like to have a fountain in front of their business. Mm -hmm. How do we provide water? Public washrooms. Right. The reality is that we all need to use a washroom at some point in the day. And when COVID hit, it was even more of um, uh, obvious that Mm -hmm. we didn't have the public facilities that we needed because we were relying on things like fast food places and again socially responsible businesses that at the time were able to open their doors when all those doors closed Hmm. people that live in those circumstances um, didn't have access Hmm. and so we made commitments around public washrooms there are things that we can do that will make an immediate difference and I think that that's what our that's where our responsibility lies rather than making these statements and promises that we can't deliver on no that's well said i think it's interesting because judith said in our in an interview that they they provide people with the bare necessities and that's really it and it's interesting to think that in this town there's people that couldn't get water because some of what you're you don't everyone's entitled to it right 
Now, does it does it signal something that the Bear Clan exists doing things that the government is not doing? Or are, are these even things that we should rely on our municipal government to do, to, to feed and clothe the unhoused? You're saying maybe yes, or... I think that there's things that a municipality, and I will speak from the municipal level, sure. can do within our means and mandate. Mm-hmm. And things like water and public washrooms, those are immediate and obvious. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that the nearly 60 agencies that serve that community, like they still have a very important job. Mm-hmm. And the Bear Clam Patrol is included in that. So mm-hmm. I don't believe that... Uh, the city of Edmonton or the province or the, the federal government needs to do everything. We all have our roles. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so within that within that basic needs policy, actually, what we talked to the social agencies about mm. was how do we better be a better partner to all of them mm. to help them work more effectively together? Sure, sure. We don't need to do their job. They're already doing their job. Yeah. But how can we help them be more effective and uh, coordinated? Mm-hmm. Right on. And that's that. what I've said lately on this podcast is I wonder if in some ways society globally is getting too big to be sustainable. Like there's cities of, Edmonton's what, a million? But there's cities that are 10 times that or more. Maybe it does go back to this small tribal, small group living. And, and Daniel Hakenen, who's running in Ward 7, he brought up that even within the ward, he'd like to see the ward divided into districts. And each district maybe had a representative that would meet with the councillor. Something like a real sort of niching down almost do you see any benefit to that i love that i love community engagement and involvement and so i was in cloverdale on sunday Mm -hmm. and they have taken that idea um and so what they have is they have block uh representatives okay and all of those block representatives their responsibility is to understand all of the needs of everyone that lives on their block in the community Mm. Cool. And also welcome new residents to that block. Sure. And uh, they host uh, events and welcome to the neighborhood parties. Mm-hmm. And they really act as a full community that is there to help each other and support each other. Mm-hmm. There's there's a huge need for that. And that's what makes Edmonton unique. We're, you okay. know, the community leagues that we have in our city, this, not every city has that. No. And they started here, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. That's pretty crazy. That might be worth thinking about going back to, yeah, community leagues, really, because do they, I mean, I'm guilty of saying that my community league, I know they do things, but I guess I don't know what they do, and maybe there's more that they could be doing, if, if we all, myself included, did a little more to chip in. Well, you know what breaks my heart, though, is that I think that a lot of the times community leagues spend the majority of their time and effort, and these are volunteers, these yeah, are people that are true. volunteering their time. Mm-hmm. They spend a whole bunch of time working with the city of Edmonton Mm -hmm. and trying to work within the bureaucracy of Uh, the barriers that the city of Edmonton puts in place. I'll tell you a couple stories. Sure, please. Community gardens. Oh, yeah. This sounds like an amazing concept. Yes, it does. And there are so many of them around the city that are growing fruits and vegetables that either Mm -hmm. the neighborhood and the community themselves can use, or they can be harvested and donated to social agencies. I was just out in Currents of Windermere. And that retail environment has a community garden, and they harvest it and give it to the social agencies. It's amazing. But (laughs) it is a very complicated process to put a community garden in. There are engineering requirements, and it takes months 
and months of work and paperwork and process to actually get a community garden in place. Hmm. And so I hear from the community leagues that the city of Edmonton, unfortunately, as their main partner is making it more difficult for them. Hmm. I hear about stories of uh, the community leagues don't actually own the land or the buildings that the community league uses. Gotcha. And so it's very difficult for them as well to even raise investment to perhaps improve a building because they don't own it. The community doesn't own it. The city of Edmonton owns Ah, it. Sure. And so again, there's all these restrictions Mm -hmm. and red tape, if you will, that is put in front of these volunteer groups who just want to create better neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And so how do we free them up from that administrative stuff Mm -hmm. and allow them to work within the community to say, how do we all work more effectively together? Right. And that's something I'm incredibly passionate about. Like, how do we supercharge Mm. these committed, engaged neighbors to work together instead of having them just battle with the city of Edmonton? Right. And it's kind of, it's got me thinking of this meme I saw where it said, we live on a planet where food grows naturally and somehow I now have a credit score. You know, like we've, (laughs) you know, like what the hell happened there? It shouldn't, why? And I asked the other two, Haledi and Hakenen about that. I said, and I think Derek mentioned it too, is like there's a perception at least that the city of Edmonton as a corporation is kind of bloating in the middle with a lot of middle management. And I'm not going after people's jobs here, but I'm wondering, maybe it's like you say, building a city that works might be something like just simplifying a lot of things. Absolutely. And um, so I talked about the best practices in other cities around the world. So I Mm -hmm. did announce a chief accountability officer position early on. And the reason for that is that we, our city employees, spend a lot of time researching, writing reports and Mm -hmm. recommendations. And so thousands and thousands of hours are spent them sitting in council meetings and going and responding to council requests. we had this chief accountability officer that could then do a global scan and say, actually, Melbourne is the city that has the best practice in this. Hmm. It's ready to be implemented. We don't need to spend all that time researching and creating a whole system and and new way of doing things. And so I think that there's this um, belief then, or not belief, that would allow us to have those employees actually focused on providing day-to-day services right. instead of doing a whole bunch of paperwork. I like it. Would this chief accountability officer, they'd have like a staff? like they'd run- Really small. Okay. So they would be independent of council and independent of city administration. Mm. And so maybe one or two. Okay. That'd be a pretty high... You have a lot of power in that role, technically. You're, you're literally bringing forward other people's work. True. True, true. I see it. I like that. I like that. That reminds me of when they built the arena. They did that. They traveled around the world to other arenas. It's a smaller example, but it's, just, it's like the good ideas are out there. We don't have to reinvent the wheel here. I wanted to, this is kind of leading me somewhere. I wanted to bring up the idea of transparency. Um, to the guys that I talk to, I keep going back to them, but that's my only real insight into this world. I mean, council and the mayor's office. They talked about is there a place where I as an Edmontonian can go and see you as the mayor or you as a councillor's voting record? Or is it scattershot? Is it hard to find those? 
the city needs to do a better job at this for sure and okay. I, and not just even voting records but what happens at city council okay and and why should i care right and um you know when i first thought about the work that i wanted to do to move our city forward i found it very complicated to educate okay. myself mm-hmm. so we're, we're all not alone here interesting i think that whether you want to say transparency or whether you want to say, how do you bring your citizens along and mm-hmm. what's happening with their own city? That's the way I like to think about it is okay. how do we keep informed about where our money is being spent? How our city is being built? Hmm. What are the services that are being created to and delivered for me and why are they important? Mm. Okay. I think that there's a whole opportunity there that we can do a better job. Um, you know, one of the ways that I find out my news mm-hmm. about what's happening at the city, I'll give a I'll give a plug to Taproot. Okay. And Taproot, Taproot is a subscription. Okay. That you can it's a free subscription actually, and mm. they spend their time watching what happens in council meetings. So they mm. attend all the council meetings and they do a summary at the end of every week about important things that are happening in council, decisions that are being made on our behalf. Okay, that's well, that's you answered my question then because. As I was saying, like, I, I'm getting ready for these interviews. I'm just combing through the Edmonton Sun, the Edmonton Journal. Twitter is a wasteland of some good information, but also a lot of, as you probably know, bad information or, or opinion. So you're saying there's a source taproot where we can at least sort of get a central look at, at how things are being done? They do a municipal roundup okay. of what happens in council. Perfect. I'll check that out. I'll check that out. I wanted to circle back, if we could, to to the homelessness or the unhoused issue in our downtown, which is, it's a mental health crisis, I'll call it that. You don't have to. Uh, I think 70% or more of people that don't have a house, don't live anywhere, live on the streets, are suffering from mental health and drug addiction. And that's the result of usually trauma or intergenerational trauma. My understanding of, of substance abuse is that criminalizing it was probably a bad idea as far as helping these people it was a pretty profitable idea but i guess i'm curious on how you where you come out on what i what i asked you was uh, safe drug supply and supervised consumption sites do you see that as being a way forward or is that a little too progressive <laughs> oh yes absolutely these are necessary okay and you know the that is not within municipal government jurisdiction sure But we have an important role to play in advocacy Mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. Right now, we have a very fractured and adversarial relationship with the provincial government. (laughs) I believe it. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, that doesn't put us in a very good position to represent what we need here as a city. And so... That's something that I am committed to is repairing those relationships, especially as the capital city. Yeah. We should be really great at forming Mm -hmm. effective, mutually beneficial relationships because they do, the provincial government and the federal government have huge areas of responsibility that affect the day-to-day lives. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I believe that mental health issue is core of of what's happening here in our city and COVID has put us in danger. Mm-hmm. We're, in a, we're in a mental health crisis yeah. right now. 
And so we need more supports in that area and safe consumption sites I'm definitely in support of. Okay, but it's my understanding, I think, and again, it's not your jurisdiction, but did we not have one or we had one in the works that the provincial government shut down? I don't know the details of how many, because there was more than one. Okay. Um, and so I can't speak to the facts on that. No problem, that, no problem. But it, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't see... I talked to a friend of mine who's, she studies harm reduction. She studies substance abuse in Victoria. And it was like, what is the other, there is no other way forward if we're not bringing everybody along, right? Like, and, and criminalizing people for self-medicating seems to be, just, you know, it, we're built, that's how society gets stratified like it is with haves and have nots. And that's how the, the I guess, the, 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 the lower class, the impoverished, that class is growing because their very existence is being criminalized, you know? Uh, yes. Then uh, I'll give you some examples sure. that we have within our municipal mandate that we have the ability to change. So we ticket people mm -hmm. if they don't have transit fare. Right. So they don't have the money to pay for the transit fare. Sure. And so then we're going to ticket them for not having the money to pay for the transit fare. And so mm -hmm. you, you said it yourself. We are criminalizing poverty. Right. That's ridiculous. <laughs> It is. Now, do you, do you personally uh, feel that there's more that, or I guess, what, what kind of do you feel would be some first steps that you might make if and when you get in? What, what might be something simple or, or a first, uh, an it, outreach? I would go to my basic needs policy sure. and all of those things around basic needs as mm -hmm. Judith describes them. There are things within our mandate we can do. Water, public washrooms, um, access to safety kits within... Right public facilities that mm -hmm. all of our libraries within the community have the ability to do housing connections nice. that we make it easier to have community gardens and mm -hmm. access to food within neighborhoods mm -hmm. that we provide the land for some of these social agencies right now that need a place to build a community hub mm -hmm. and can't afford the land so mm -hmm. there's a lot of things specifically within our municipal mandate that we can do and i published it in my central my basic needs policy right on and that's on your website it is perfect i'll direct people there yeah as well um i was i did a quick scroll of your website and your your bio so you you got a background in tech it sounds like and then like business development so did did what you call city building did that just seem like for you just a natural next step or 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 why why leave private business or or what you were doing and get into this place where now i think the stakes at least your reputation is, is on the line too this is my way of giving back to my city. Okay. So I, I did spend more than 20 years in technology innovation. Mm -hmm. I worked for IBM in the late 90s, yeah. and then I spent 15 years working for Intuit all around the world. And probably um, a common thread, though, in why I think city building is so important is this commitment to small businesses. And okay. so Intuit is a company that wants to make sure that small businesses are successful through its mm. QuickBooks product. Okay. And so I fell in love mm. with entrepreneurs and this idea of helping small businesses. Mm. And then in 2015, I was given the choice of staying with Intuit, staying with private business, mm. or staying in Edmonton. Right. And I picked my city. I love my city. Mm. And I thought to myself, what skills do I have or experience do I have that I could apply mm -hmm. to my city right. to make it better. Hmm. And that's when I went to work for Edmonton Economic Development Corporation okay. and started there 
focused on small businesses in this city. How do we create a strong economy? How do we create the best environment for them to be successful? Because it's personal to our city, as I talked about. Yes. And then really that's where my realization that city building is you know, broader than helping businesses to be successful and, and that there was a, a bigger in, impact that I could make. Hmm. Beautiful. And so what do you see, I guess, as the future? Because Alberta kind of gets this rap as being, oh, the, you know, the oil, oil and gas is a huge part, but not a lot of that going on downtown. Well, I guess there are on an administrative level maybe, but what do you see as kind of being the industries that sort of come into Edmonton's downtown in the next 10, 20 years? Like to me, it's tech, but that's what the hell does that mean? Like AI or what are we talking about here? We have an incredible, unique strength in artificial intelligence research in this city, Mm. born at the University of Alberta. Right. And so that's number one that we have to recognize. Number two, um, we have an incredible wealth of talent in this city. Mm -hmm. We have more post-secondary institutions than many, many cities out there. Nearly 10% Mm -hmm. of our population is enrolled in post-secondary. Really? Those are 10%. 10%. And so if you think then about how you take research or innovations or new ideas, you take talent and you take business together, people are looking for opportunities for that for them to come together to create things collectively together. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's the role that downtowns play, right. is that you have this ability and consolidation right. of all of those peoples and ideas mm. and factors. And so a lot of what people talk about within the tech space is collisions. And that's really just you and me come together and we talk about an idea together. And then we agree we're going to work on it together. Or something new is born out of our conversation that couldn't have happened without the two of us talking. That's a collision, if you will. Sure. And so they say, or the the vision really of our downtown is this natural meeting point for all Mm. of those people to be connecting and talking. That's why the free transportation is so important is how do you get to a coffee with someone let's make it as easy for us as possible to have those natural collisions neat that's that makes a lot of sense um that's very cool so is there more than that you that you think needs to be done to invite these businesses or is it known that edmonton is a place to come or are we still sort of at the bottom of that exponential curve business owners here will not tell you today that this is the city to set up your business in the tax, taxes are too high okay, and that there is too much red tape and bureaucracy. So we have some incredibly long times, lead times to get development permits and sure. licensing. So they will not be advocates okay. of our city as a place to create your business. So we have to change that mm. environment so that we have reasonable tax rates where people are saying, I understand and agree that I'm getting value for this money mm. that I'm being charged. Mm-hmm. And that means an environment that makes it simple for me to operate in. Right. And then that will create, I like to use the word evangelists. And, and it's about people that are saying, Edmonton is the best place to have my business. Right. So that's really the vision that I have is build this city that works right? Mm-hmm. so that people talk about it. And then we have a million people here that are advertising our city. And that's what attracts other people then to say, well, I just might set up my business in Edmonton too, because I've heard that it's the best place to do that. Right. Okay. But so there's some work to be done then. It there's sounds like. There's work to be done. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, we've covered a lot. I feel pretty good about it. What are you doing for time? Is that meeting here that you've got to get to? Or it you is. Have... It's upstairs. Oh, okay. So I got you for maybe five uh -huh. more minutes. <laughs> I'm curious, I guess. I'm always curious about, I'm, maybe you've answered this in a roundabout way, but you've heard the saying maybe that power attracts pathology. And I get, I get the sense that you're not getting into government or into city building, as you call it, or the, the mayor's role for any sort of egotistical reason or, or power grab reason. But do you, th do you foresee maybe having to come up against that and other politicians or other counselors, candidates, business leaders? Like, is there a problem here with a lot of, this is a pretty grandiose question, but a problem of ego and a, pow a problem of, of me, 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 or I talked to somebody who referred to some of the things being done at Edmonton as legacy projects, as in people are advancing them in their own self-interest. Is there something of a collectivism that we need to return to, or <laughs> is it a human problem, essentially? And how would you, what do you do there? How do you work with that? I, I think that's a human problem. Everyone, you know, to some degree or another has an ego. Right. I think that we all are doing this. Every person that steps forward as a public servant does it for the right reasons. Hmm. I have to imagine, because this is all-encompassing work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It yeah. is seven <laughs> days a week, 24 hours a day. Right. It becomes your personal life. Right. There are no, there's no clock, like, you're not punching a clock here. And right. so the people, I believe, that are stepping forward to do this really have the same desire as to create a better city. I think that what can happen, though, when you're in roles too long is that mm. you lose external perspective, mm. that you build sure. bias, mm -hmm. that you build baggage, that you owe people things, mm. especially politicians, people that are <laughs> getting elected. Right. Um, there, that can happen. Where not all the time, sure. absolutely not all mm. the time, but I think that in the past is, it has happened. And I think a lot of times that's why people are very cynical of politicians because they've seen that happen. Mm. But I believe that there are a lot of people that are doing this for the right reasons. And I, for all of the, you know, uh, new counselors or people that are running for council right now, I've spoken to the majority of them. Mm. I know all of the current counselors. Okay. I think that, though, what's needed and necessary today is external perspective, hmm. a fresh perspective, a perspective that brings the view of everyday Edmontonians that are working hard to put food on the table, um, where the cost of a 10-pack of bus tickets is a lot of money. 30% hmm. of people in Edmonton uh, have incomes of less than $30,000. And that that's what's missing, I think, sometimes from hmm. the leaders in our city is the loss of that perspective. Sure. Well said. I think that's... So then is this election pretty... This is kind of a watershed moment then. It's kind of out with the old in some ways. And let's hopefully get some fresh perspective in here. That is my hope. I love it. Okay, before you let me go, though, what do you love about Edmonton? What do I love about Edmonton? Uh, obviously, the River Valley. I mean, the, the name of this podcast, the North Bank Media Podcast, took its name from the North Bank of the River, where I grew up, 
frankly, uh, I grew up in Rio Terrace. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, I, I lived on that riverbank for a lot of, a lot of nights and days. Um, obviously the Oilers, you know, I, I've done a lot of work for the Oilers, Eskimos too, or Elks, sorry. Um, I love the local sports teams. Um, the other thing is there's an eclectic nature to some of the architecture in the neighborhoods in this town. I just, a couple nights ago, a friend of mine took me on a bike ride through Ramsey Heights, which I'd never been there. And it was like, if you had dropped me here, I have no idea where I was. I would think I was in California or something. These, you know, they're big houses. It's a high mm-hmm. income area, but right on the river. But I mean, seeing the river from the other side for a change was so it's, you know what? It, I really see it as a, it's a, it's a city in a, in a awkward growing phase. And I, I mean, I love it. I love the feel. And I believe that there's a, a big future ahead and, and it can keep some charm, keep that spirit alive. I think that's my, that's my statement on Edmonton. Does that help? It does. And it, so many people that I talk to say River Valley is yeah. one of their first things. How can you not? And so let me ask you then, uh, what do you think responsible development looks like in our River Valley? Because we all want to use it. Mm-hmm. We all want to use it. But we, you do have to make it accessible to people. And then you get, like you say, those people that then evangelize like me. Um, I think I think keeping, like I was just down... Not far from the Quinell Bridge, there's a, they just put in a new canoe launch. It's, it's stuff like that, you know. Um, getting that riverboat off the bank and getting it running again would be huge. I would love to have that. Do you know that guy who, no. who owns that boat? No, I don't. Yeah, I'd love to talk to that guy, man, because he, he's got to be in the hole. Uh, I think he just thing. needs money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so things like that, making the river. I mean, I know there was that boardwalk idea or that, that promenade. Mm-hmm. Similar Touch to what, the water. Yeah. Where's that? Do you know anything about that? It's, yeah. Like many of our plans, we, I'm, I'm sure that's not going to come to light for the, in the next decade. Yeah. But we need to get, we need to move faster on some of okay. these things. And, okay. and I, you know, I asked that question specifically because we need to be responsible developers. Yes. Of definitely. the River Valley. But I think that we're getting hung up on what responsible development looks like Hmm. and that's what's delaying any development and so we're all still using the river valley but it's it's eroding it and deteriorating it because the infrastructure is not there to support us to do that um proper development of the trail system Mm -hmm. and so we've got this plan that we've done extensive engagement on and um but we need to execute on it yeah, that's huge. Now, I spoke with Christine Archibald, who's executive director of the Edmonton uh, River Valley Alliance. Mm. And so they're big on that sustainable development, but also the infrastructure, building that trail that's going to go end to end and making it making it a place where people... But isn't that... That's the crazy balance, right? Is, okay, you want to bring people in, but also you don't want them destroying... What is an... It's an ever-changing landscape, but I guess what I'd say is foot traffic and, like, canoe traffic and stuff like that is far less cumbersome and, and destructive than you know advocating you know atv trails or things like that right so i mean that 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 place has been there before us and it'll be there after us but it is a tough balance isn't it to not overuse it well or overdevelop it or over-develop and, it. and we are not back to my chief accountability officer and just this idea of not recreating the wheel and, and how we overcomplicate and we sure. overthink some sure. things we're not the only city that has a river running through the middle of it 
Most of them do, most big cities. And most of them, it's a major tourist attraction. Right. And they have done responsible development so that they can use and access the river valley. And mm-hmm. we're, we're way behind. Yeah, we are, but I think we're, I feel like we're getting there. Okay, but okay. But we can, <laughs> you, you don't? I, mean, I don't think we're getting there fast enough. Okay, sure, sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, that canoe launch is like big deal. It's like, but what, what are we talking about here then, specifically? Like, what would that look like? Well, you know, some of the things that I hear about are people that would like to have these little pop-up businesses in the River Valley that might serve a glass of wine and a little bit of cheese and bread. I like that. How about a little pop-up that rents bikes? Sure. How about a pop-up that rents snowshoes in the wintertime? Okay. So I don't think it's big. Like, look, we all want, I don't know, we all want. I think many want Rosdale to happen. Right. Oh, wouldn't that be incredible? Like into like a more of a market? Right. A place for commerce? For sure. Yeah. But in the meantime, there's still an opportunity for us to make sure that the trail system is able to accommodate the um, people that want to bike in the River Valley, not just walk. Right. So I think I that you. there's more that we can do. No, I believe it. I guess when you, when, you, when you talk about development, you are talking about places where we can have some commercial, not exploitation, but it's a space where you can, it, it attracts people because there's something to do. Not, you know, not everybody sees the value in just swimming in the river or walking on a trail, which is fair, but it's... But even garbages to put garbage in. Sure. Right. Then there's all that. Public washrooms. They did a decent job of that when there was that, in the accidental beach. They did an okay job of that, I think, but now that beach is gone because that's just what happens. <laughs> Making it known that I wouldn't recommend swimming in the river there, but upstream <laughs> west where I live by Terwilliger, I swim there all the time. I think people need to know that it's not a big, scary thing. It's not. Like, again, an incredible asset of ours, and we all love it. Awesome. So let's just do what we can to make it better. Let's do what we can to make it better. I think that's it for us. Yeah, we've got to okay. let you go. I had one for you. You can answer it as we wrap up. Okay. Um, the... You're from the north side, born and raised, as you said. Both guys that I talked to, Dan Hakenin and Derek Lady, they said the north side has been underrepresented and ignored on an infrastructure level. Fact. You agree. And when you're in office, you will? Yes, north side, and we just need a more equitable approach to our neighborhoods. And so you should have the same expectation of maybe amenities that... that kids can learn to skate in their community mm. that's what we need to get to is and the north side has been left behind and and even today i you know was over there quite recently at the c5 hub on victoria okay. trail mm. such an important community hub and we don't have the necessary bus routes to get people there mm. Same old problems we've been talking about. Cheryl, thank you for your time. I appreciate it for having me into your office here and and best of luck on the campaign. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for listening to the North Bank Media Podcast. If you enjoy this conversation, please subscribe on YouTube and give us a like. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe as well and leave a five-star review. Thank you.